Building the fashion businesses of the future together. Welcome to the future of fashion business. The future of fashion business is about helping aspiring fashion entrepreneurs and designers start their own successful fashion brands by learning from the best, most experienced people in the industry. I am your host, Esteban Julian. For more advice and to learn more about how I started my own fashion brand, make sure you follow my fashion journey on YouTube at Esteban Julian. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Future of Fashion Business. I am your host, Esteban Julian. And on this week's episode, I sat down with fashion lawyer, Biana Boruhovic. Now, this is an episode that I've been wanting to do for a very, very long time. But finding a lawyer that specializes in the fashion industry that is trustworthy and reliable is no easy thing. Now, very, very excited to bring this for you guys because it's a topic that I think it's something that entrepreneurs, particularly fashion entrepreneurs, really, really struggle with. I know this firsthand because I've been there. I've been through how scary it is to start a fashion brand, how overwhelming it might look, how scary and how complicated it might seem to be protected, to do things the right way, etc., etc., etc. Now, that being said, Although this podcast will definitely help you be more aware of the things you should be looking out for and maybe the next steps to start implementing into your brand so it's that's safer and more protected in the future, it's definitely not going to turn you into a fashion business lawyer, all right? And also, you shouldn't take this as professional legal advice. As I said, main purpose of this episode is to make sure and remind people that it's okay to not know and to feel overwhelmed about the complexity of the legal sphere in fashion. But most importantly, to grow your awareness, explain the the potential things that you should be looking out for, and hopefully give you the next steps to follow on how to successfully protect your fashion brand. That being said, let's get into today's episode. Awesome, Bayana. Welcome to the future of fashion business. Um, Is is this your first podcast, by the way? I I, I don't think I asked you that. This is my first podcast. How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. <laughs> yeah. Hope I'm not hope I'm not very intimidating. I hope not either. <laughs> uh, awesome. So I think I told you this before, but I'm actually very, very excited of having somebody uh, in the legal space uh, in, 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 in our podcast. I've been trying to uh, find somebody for, for, a, for quite a while, but because it was just I didn't have anybody like in my circle, my social circle that could refer me to somebody that was, you know, trustworthy and actually knew, knew what they were talking about. It was quite hard to get somebody in that, in that space here. So thanks for being here. It really means a lot. My pleasure. Awesome. So Bayana, uh, just to start everything out, uh, I like to start my episode so that my listeners can maybe relate a little bit better with, with my guests. Uh, maybe they they went through similar things in their career that my listeners can relate to, or maybe they, there's just a lot of things that I think people can learn from everybody's story. So uh, to start off, can you give us a little bit more background on how you actually, how you actually ended up not only in the legal space, but more specifically, you know, in, in the fashion sort of legal space? Got it. So essentially, I wanted to go to fashion school when I was going to undergrad. And um, my my family is in the fashion industry and they were like, no, you're not going to (laughs) go. So I ended up going to undergrad for psychology and math. Uh And then I ended up going 
How come? How come they didn't want you to go though? Like, if if they were in the industry, were you, were you born in New York as well, or? I was born in Ukraine in Odessa. Okay. Oh right. Okay. Uh, essentially, the fashion industry, as we all know it, it's a bit uh, cutthroat. Yeah. And a lot of it, you know, over time has been leaving abroad. Um, you know, being outsourced. So it, it's been a pretty, you know. A difficult industry, but if you love the fashion industry, you don't want to go away from it. Of course. Um, in law school, I took an intellectual property class during which I wrote an article on fashion law. And at that time, uh, fashion law was a pretty new uh, field of law in New York. And it wasn't like wildly known all over the world either. And I ended up getting my article published. And I was like, oh my God, I could combine law and fashion this is amazing mm -hmm. so i ended up doing an internship for h&m in-house in new york and then when i graduated law school i knew that i wanted to stay in the you know in the fashion industry from the legal side mm -hmm. so i was looking for jobs that i would have loved and i didn't find something that i loved so i ended up starting my own law firm and i started focusing my law firm towards the fashion industry mm -hmm. so awesome and again it, it was all based on on that initial interest of of the fashion industry right so yeah you i love i love the fashion focus. world <laughs> awesome and, and how come you uh you you decided to pursue law to begin with uh so not, not like not do like you know a, a 180 degree change and just focus on specifically something more fashion related like you know i don't know design uh, or Right. So I ended up I ended up interning for a law firm uh, my senior year of college. And um, I just I realized that the legal field, I was really it was something that was very interesting to me as well. Mm -hmm. And I could have always seen myself being an attorney as well. So it's just I'm very fortunate that I found and you know, a career where I combine two things that I love, mm -hmm. which is the legal field and the fashion world. And I have, the, you could say I have the best of both worlds. Awesome. Well, and, and that's, you know, that's, that's quite an advantage because a lot of people that started the industry, I mean, it's something that, that people never want to think about, right? They never want to think about all oh, the, I, I should probably start thinking or be becoming more educated on the legal side of the business or, <laughs> or it's definitely something that I have to pay a little bit more attention to, you know, trademarking my company or making sure everything that I'm protected just in case when I start growing and all those things. So it's definitely, it's definitely lucky of you to have those two interests because I know that I never, <laughs> I never shared that. <laughs> that cost, that cost some trouble <laughs> when I was starting out. Right. Uh, but Awesome. Now to, before we get into all the, the good stuff, you know, the, the, the things that everybody wants to know about uh, the legal jargon, <laughs> the legal jargon. Exactly. Uh, what's, can you, can you just, just throw out the disclaimer for them? Because I was well, going to try to do them, but since you're a lawyer, no I'm just gonna, say you're well, I just wanted to put out a disclaimer that I'm not giving anybody, uh, legal advice It's just guidance. So, uh, if you are interested in legal advice for me, uh, I'm sure Esteban will be able to provide my contact information at the end and mm -hmm. you can contact me directly and we could talk from there. Awesome. Well, that being said, let's get into the good stuff, Diana. 
Now, Biana, I think that probably one of the first worries that you know people starting their fashion brands always have is, do I have to be protected? You know, how important is it for me to be protected at the very beginning, and what actually is out there for me to protect myself? So, uh, what do you think should be the first things? That people should really start thinking about when starting a, a fashion company from a legal perspective. So, from a legal perspective, there are a few steps that need to be conducted to be really protected because I've seen some pretty unfortunate scenarios.、Mm-hmm. So, from the beginning, what companies need to do, they need to incorporate.、Uh, I'm not sure、uh, how every single other country works, but in the U.S., we usually Uh, fashion companies are either corporations or LLCs,、mm-hmm. uh, so you need to incorporate. But the way that I work with a lot of my fashion companies is because because I want their brand name and their、uh, business name to be the same.、Mm-hmm. Essentially, if a company comes to me,、uh, they'll need to incorporate, and you need to file for your trademarks. Filing for your trademarks. Very early on, if not even before you have your goods, is very important. The reason being is because if you start growing a brand, that、uh, a brand name that you cannot use that somebody already has trademark, essentially, if you decide to one day trademark it and it's not available. The chances are you're gonna have to rebrand, not to risk any liability or lawsuit、uh, mm-hmm. down the path. So essentially, when a client comes to me, a fashion client, the first steps we do is that we incorporate and trademark. So before I incorporate the company, I conduct the trademark search to make sure that the brand names that we're that we want to use are available.、Mm-hmm. If the names are strong and available, at least. From the legal perspective, I think that they're strong enough. We file for the business entity first, and then we file for the trademarks under that business entity.、Mm-hmm. Uh, I find it important to file trademarks under business entities simply for people not to be personally liable for everything to belong to businesses.、Mm-hmm. Of course.、Uh, so trademarks are really, really important. I can't stress how important trademarks are. Mm-hmm. I'll give you guys examples.、Um, I had a client. He had a very successful shoe line for twenty years. He came to me, never filed for trademarks, nothing. He came to me、uh, for a trademark. And quite frankly, in the U.S., it's not like in Europe. It's who register. It's not who registers the name first.、Mm-hmm. It's who starts using the name first. Okay. Okay. So. He came to me and I'm like, oh, he's been in use for 20 years. What are the chances there's another shoe line there for longer than 20 years that still exists? Come to find out, there was a shoe line that was had a tr- registered trademark for 21 years.、Mm-hmm. So this person who invested, you know, 20 years of his life building the shoe brand, now his options are either rebrand. Continue doing his business and risk being sued for everything he ever made, or contact the other company and see if they coexist.、Mm-hmm. The last part is usually the worst idea because that company is going to know if you contact that company. That company is going to know that 
uh, they have, that, <laughs> that you exist, that they have way more rights, and that they could make a ton of money off you if they sue you. Yeah, they have leverage. Right. So that's a bad idea. Um, continuing to go through the business with, you know, risking it also is a bad idea because you could be in court for years wasting all the money you ever made. So from a legal perspective, the smartest move is to rebrand. Awesome. Uh, and you know, and I get, I get exactly what you're saying, especially, especially in the fashion industry is particularly important just because of the importance of a brand. Um, you'd be surprised. It's, it's a lot of different industries. I even have, I've dealt with the, uh, the jewelry, you know, jewelry mm-hmm. industry. I've dealt with real estate industries as well. Um, who just businesses within the same industries don't want to overlap. The reason why trademarks are so important and the reason why it's so important to police your mark and mm-hmm. not let it overlap with somebody else's is because as you know, Esteban, marketing costs a lot of money yep. to grow a brand is through marketing. Okay. If somebody's spending a ton of money on marketing, they don't want their marketing money to go towards any other brand. Sure. Sure. It wants, it's, it's a business of association and all the, all the marketing money that you spend is pretty much just so that can, people can associate a certain story, a certain emotion, certain products to that brand. So if you don't yeah. protect that brand from the very beginning, it's very easy for somebody else to exploit all of the effort that you've been, you've been pulling through for so, so long and, and claim it all for themselves. Again, if, if, as you said, you don't do your, your research from beforehand, you don't make sure you're protected, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, what are some, and when it comes to legal research, because I'm sure a lot of people out there are like, all right, so I, I, I really understand the importance of being protected, but you know, I can't just afford to go to an amazing law firm from the get go. So what would be a, uh, what, what would be a good way for people to, I guess, become a little bit more educated on what they actually need to do? Because at the end of the day, you know, getting a lawyer is always going to be the best option. Uh, sure, but I get, listen, I totally get it. You know, I'm a young attorney. I understand that a lot of young entrepreneurs don't have money to, you know, to spend on legal fees or to spend, you know, on things before they get their uh, company up and running. My suggestion is at least, you know, they could read blogs. For example, on my law firm page, which is uh, burhavichlaw.com, mm-hmm. I have a blog and I write about all the like um, legal obstacles that different, you know, fashion companies face when to trademark, when to incorporate, what type of business entity is right for you. I go into details because quite frankly, um, I deal a lot with the fashion industry and I see the same exact problem over and over and over again, you know, uh, mm-hmm. which is the same problem, meaning a lot of people are like, oh, I'll wait to trademark. Oh, I don't need a contract. I don't need contracts yet. And that's, you know, all these things are really important. and as much as it's important to build the company, it's also important to build your company in a safe way that nobody else could steal your company. Mm-hmm. Of course. And what about um, going back to trademarking? Uh, trademarking is something that you have to worry about 
for different countries, right? You have to do it independently based on the right. country that, that you are going to be selling your products at. So would you recommend people go for, you know, international trademarks from the get go or more focused on where they planning on starting their business, you know, because the, the thing is that this line kind of got blurred out with, with the internet and with the rise of direct to consumer brands, because from the get go, you know, a brand that's registered in the U S can start selling in China, you know, but because they're selling in China, maybe if, if they're not, if they don't have a protected trademark in China, they're, they're more, they're more open for, for, for something happening, you know, with China, it's very, uh, it's very tricky. So the, the answer to your question, whether people should file for trademarks abroad, is it depends. It depends on whether they're actually doing business there or not. Yeah. If they're not planning to do business there, there's no reason to file for trademarks. But they're, if they're ever planning to um, you know, do business in China or uh, manufacture there or things of that sort, um, Sometimes it does make sense to file for trademarks. The reason being is because in countries like China, you don't have to show that you're in use to obtain trademarks. Mm -hmm. And in China, um, they have a lot of individuals who look for brand name, like big brand names of course. abroad. And they essentially file for these trademarks and um, they file under every single class. Mm-hmm. literally every single class that you can. And uh, I'll give you, an, I forgot how much, but Apple had to pay, I want to say, I'll tell you right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I think it was something uh, like $60 million dollars. Uh, it for to get their iPad, yeah, Apple paid sixty million dollars for their iPad, iPad trademark in China to get them back. Mm-hmm. Because uh, one of the hijackers in China, what they do is that they take the big brands and they trademark it all. And now you can't, like, if iPad, if Apple didn't get that mark back, they wouldn't be able to go maybe through customs. Or sell in China or things of that sort. And that's crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it goes back to the importance of actually getting your trademark sorted from a very, very early stage. Uh, What about, what about, and give me your opinion on something. Because for me, this sounds too good to be true. Mm -hmm. Uh, But maybe maybe we've gotten pretty far when it comes to, you know, how accessible trademarking internationally might be for a lot of people. Uh, Mm -hmm. Have you heard of, you know, the the Madrid Protocol? Correct. With Whipple. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. You know, which is, and correct me if I'm wrong, an international system for, you know, obtaining international trademark protection. Is that something that's reliable when you're starting out or is, is, is it not as good course, as it's? Of course it's reliable. It's, um, so what about the Madrid protocol is a treaty between, uh, I forget 40 or 50 something countries. Mm-hmm. And, um, it essentially how it works is that if you file for a trademark, uh, if you have a trademark in one of the countries, then through the WIPO, you can file for trademarks in those countries that are part of that treaty. Mm-hmm. It is very reliable. It's, you know, when it comes to certain countries, it's even faster to go through the WIPO, uh, through the Madrid Protocol, than to go directly through those countries. Of course. Um, not to mention a lot a lot more affordable as well, right? Because you're, you're essentially... I'm not sure, I'm not sure what the... 
with the fees because I'm not sure what how much the fees are in each country. Right. I would assume that maybe they're similar. But what's what's good with the Madrid Protocol is that you could apply for several countries at the same time, pretty much, and that's amazing. Um, the only the only real thing is that you know all these different countries. It, if God forbid you have an issue there, you're going to have to prove that you're actually using your mark there. Mm -hmm. and, oh, okay. And I believe that every single country has its own level of proof that's required. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what's, what's usually talking about those, those sort of proofs. What's the, what's the, I guess the most solid evidence that you're actually uh, doing business in a certain country. Is it sales? Is sales. it market campaigns? I mean, it probably is all of the above that you could uh -huh. show uh, that you're in that country somehow. You know, you show pictures, you know, sales from the store, sales from, you know, many from markets, whatever it is, mm -hmm. marketing over there, um, you know, a store front, you know, different things. Awesome. Uh, and going a little bit more specific on trademarking, because it's not as easy as, you know, as you pick a name out and you suddenly decide, oh, okay, I own this name. This is name belongs to me and my brand, right? Like it has to be, there has to be some, some specific characteristics to that name, to that brand for it to be able to trademark, right? So maybe a specific font, a specific design, a specific color, or can, can you trademark something that's quite general when it comes to to fashion brands so okay so to trademark um you could say brand names or logos or things of that sort there's several things that are trademarkable like you could trademark a color like for example we all know the louis vuitton red sole mm -hmm. right or the tiffany blue box you can trademark that the blue box yeah the blue the tiffany bluish trademark um the UPS, the brown and yellow, I believe, is trademarked. There are several several colors that are trademarked. But so you can trademark, trademark color combinations. Yeah. Huh? So you can trademark color combinations, or you can only trademark color combinations if they're associated to a certain to a specific name. Well, not it doesn't have to be associated with a specific name, but it has to be like if you look at those colors. You know uh -huh. exactly which brand it is. Wow. Right? So like when you look at Tiffany Blue, you know exactly that it's Tiffany's. Or like, for mm -hmm. example, the Louboutin Red Sole, when you're mm -hmm. looking at somebody wearing one of those shoes, you know whose shoe that is. You mm -hmm. don't need the brand name to be on it. Um, however, color trademarks are not as common. What's more common are obviously word marks and logos. So... Logos are, you know, little designs, maybe initials, things of that sort. Those things are trademarkable. Mm -hmm. um, you could have several, I'm just giving you an example, like ML trademarks, but they will have completely different designs. Yeah. And look completely different, and they will go through, even if they offer the same goods and services. However, you, it ha it's very tricky because it has to look, you know, substantially different. Right. So it has to be very, very identifiable. Correct. 
Now, word marks, word marks are very, you know, obviously that's probably the usual trademark, um, which is like the full name of a brand. Let's say, you know, Polo Ralph Lauren, or, you know, let's just use, okay, let's just use, you know, Donna Karen. So for mm -hmm. example, Donna Karen, a person's name is trademarkable. However, mm -hmm. technically speaking, a person's surname is not trademarkable. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. because it's, it's very easy for other people to have the, the same surname. No. I, I'm really not sure why they made those rules, but that's, that's right. just a bit that's of how it. That's how it is. Um, also, so surnames are not allowed. Um, descriptive marks, like for example, if you're going to have a clothing line, you can't call it uh, T-shirts or jeans. You can't call the brand name. The brand name cannot be descriptive. Descriptive mm -hmm. marks are not trademarkable. Mm -hmm. So uh, I always tell clients the best type of marks are arbitrary marks, which are like, you know, made up words mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, made up words, letters or or, you know, fanciful marks. So essentially what you want is, uh, you, want, you want to make sure that your mark is different and stands out mm -hmm. and at the same time is catchy. You don't want to make it like too long. So usually four to five letter marks are the best, but quite frankly, they're like the most expensive to get domain names. So that's right. something that, um, you know, business owners really have to think about because domain names are a very important part of your business. Mm -hmm. um, and that's another thing. When I conduct a trademark search for my clients, I will usually look at and see if the domain name is available because a lot of times if the domain name is not available, you want to make sure that everything kind of goes across the board organically. Like, your trademark, your dom domain name, your business entity is the same. Mm -hmm. So that's also very important to check when you're conducting a trademark search before you file for anything. Awesome. And is there, is there any particular tools to have to make uh, trademark searches or Google is just your, your best so, option? So in the U S we call, we use, uh, our federal government, uh, website it's called the uspto.gov mm -hmm. and you could search but quite frankly uh, a lay person cannot conduct the search properly because they don't understand the rules and regulations uh, mm -hmm. that apply to trademarks of course so, so this is something very important that i wanted to mention a lot of people they think that if they could incorporate a name that means that the trademark is available. That's incorrect. Mm -hmm. okay. When incorporating a business entity, the business entity name does not need to be very different from another business entity name. It could just have one different letter. That's not the, the same does not apply to trademarks. Trademarks have to sound, look, sound and look different than other marks in the same field that are registered. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And now, We'd like to take a quick commercial break to thank our sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Your Social Component. 
At Your Social Component, we help fashion and e-commerce business owners automate and scale their online sales using the best online advertising strategies out there. If you're looking for a marketing agency that completely understands your industry and can scale your fashion and e-commerce business to the next level, make sure you get in touch through our website at yoursocialcomponent.com. Now let's continue with this week's episode. And how, how specific, so and let's say you have somebody that has a logo uh, and their name, right? They want to trade, which is, I'm guessing the most basic, as you said, most basic trademark. Uh, the name is unique. As you said, it's rare. It has, it's short, it's available. Uh, would they be able to trademark the word itself if it's a made up word or only a word using a certain font and a certain logo? No, they could. They could uh, trademark uh, a made-up word the same way that you could trademark a name, you know, a full name or anything mm-hmm. else. They don't need a certain font. Mm-hmm. I actually recommend when uh, fashion companies are starting out, I actually recommend for them to apply for the regular word marks so they have broader protection. Mm-hmm. Mm, okay. Okay, okay. Not to file for the logos right away because the logos, when you're starting out, you might see, you might have one vision, but in a couple of years, your full, full logo, like meaning like if you want to use a certain font, might change. And then you need to file another trademark. So just using, initially filing uh, the word mark uh, as a trademark and maybe your design logo just having those two trademarks in the beginning, that's probably the best bet instead of uh, put just trademarking the full logo altogether. Mm. Okay, awesome. Now, going back to something that you said previously that I was it was quite interested in, you said that you can definitely trademark colors, but nobody really does. It's not, it's not something very common. How come it's not something that is as common? Because not usually when people, when, well, when companies brand uh, their brand name or, you know, whatever stands for their brand, colors are a lot harder to uh, market. Mm-hmm. You know, like, for example, usually we do like marketing online, right? Nowadays, mm-hmm. how do you market a color? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a lot harder than marketing, you know, a word mark, like a, a brand name that's made out of words. Mm-hmm. So I get because because of how it's a lot more difficult to identify as something that's unique to that particular you know thing or brand. Think about it. How would you market a color online? Uh, like when I, I keep using Louis Vuittons, but when Louis Vuittons market, they don't market uh, themselves online by red red soles. They market themselves by their brand name Louis Vuitton. Okay. 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 Yeah. Not to mention that building that association must, I mean, takes God knows how much, how much, how long time and money and in the amount of money. Exactly. Because sure. probably what happened with Louboutin is that they did it for so long. They had so much heritage around the color that they eventually were like, okay, now it makes sense to trademark this color because it's what makes it, it's what makes it us. Right. Right. But, but it was something that probably took, you know, decade to right. get to that point. Absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. Now, 
uh, there's two main things that I want to cover. One is trademarks. And again, uh, I personally been through that process and I wanted to learn about it myself, you know, because as an entrepreneur, when you're starting out, you think you can handle everything. Uh, but when it comes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but when it comes to legal things, I mean, if, if just, just try to do your best to get enough money or resources or, or talk to somebody that might know it. Maybe your, your uncle has a friend or something to give you advice on this sort of thing, because legal is something that you definitely do not want to mess with. Uh, and that you do need some solid advice for. Yeah, that you want to overlook because these things, uh, they're very... They make or break your business. Like, it's that simple. They, they could potentially make or break your business. It doesn't always make or break, but the problem is, is that if you're starting to build a brand and you don't have trademarks, as time goes on, you usually get involved with other parts of your business and you kind of, like, push it off. Mm-hmm. And if you push it off long enough and somebody else takes your trademarks, not only will you be paying for these trademarks, you will be paying either to fight with the other people to get rid of their trademarks or you're going to have to rebrand. There's just so many complications that are honestly just not worth it. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, now, going a little bit past the trademarking thing, I'll probably ask you a whole bunch of questions after I just figure what else to ask. But I think we've, we've covered at least, at least enough to give people a general idea of what to do next. Uh, if they're starting a fashion brand when it comes to trademarking, but other than that, uh, other than trademarking issues, what are some other very common issues that either your clients or, you know, brands that you see online or whatever that, you know, common issues that you see them making when it comes to, um, legal stuff. So essentially, obviously, the initial, the trademarks, the copy, I mean, the trademarks, the uh, incorporations, the first things, um, a lot of times clients could take, for example, other people's art and put it on their clothing uh, mm. without obtaining a license. Mm, okay. That's also a biggie. Please do not take, I've seen this done several times, do not take the school colors or mascots and put it on your t-shirts. Don't put uh, pictures of TV shows that might, you know, the copyrights might belong to like Disney or what, you know, some big company that could come after you. Uh, Don't use artists art on your t-shirts without permission. So you need, if you're using anything that below the, any, artwork or any invention that belongs to somebody else on your clothing, you need permission. So try to stay away from that. Um, recently there have been lawsuits here in the U S with a graffiti work, mm-hmm. like street art, because technically speaking, a street art, it's, you know, those are technically what we call once a person invents something, they acquire what's called a poor man's copyright. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, they went after these big companies that were using their art on their clothing. So but I'm most- guessing what that means is that as long as they, they can prove that they created it uh, at a specific moment in time, you know, before it was being used, it can, it can go back to her, whatever company. There's, is using as- there's a lot more, uh, there's a lot more to it. I don't handle it a lot more factors, but 
that's just something to understand to stay clear of mm -hmm. you know of and then moving forward it's really important to uh to have contracts drafted for example if you have partners you should have a partnership agreement do mm -hmm. not say oh this person is my brother or my um or my friend we don't need it you need it the reality is is that i've seen brothers go at it in court like it, it's really not necessary put something down it shouldn't be uncomfortable if you guys are starting this company if anything it should uh maintain your relationship because every single person knows what's expected of them of course but that's an important part second second thing if anybody if you have employees or consultants you need either a consultant or an employment agreement mm -hmm. again very important you got to make sure that the person who's working for you it's on paper and that it's also very important i'm not sure how it is in europe but in the u.s you cannot work for free unless it's for credit mm -hmm. it, it's actually illegal to work for free unless it's for credit or for minimum wage mm -hmm. we like several years ago we had lawsuits that dealt with free internships look if you get a, if you want to get interns and you can't afford to pay get students from schools that get credit and that way they could work for you for free mm, okay Wow, that's a good that's a good tip right there. I didn't know that, for example. Uh, and again, it specifically applies to the U.S. Uh, most of my listeners are from the U.S. anyway. But if if you are listening from a different country, again, look into if it works in a similar way into your country or get some legal advice in your particular country to see if this applies. Because that right there, especially if you're starting out, is something super super valuable. Uh, the credit thing. Right. Absolutely. So those awesome. are, starting at your company, those are the main things that you need. You need. You know, again, to incorporate, to trademark, and all the contracts. After mm -hmm. that, you should have, you know, breathing time not to deal with an attorney and um, build your business. But as you're building your business, you really should, if you have questions from your attorney, you really should reach out to them and ask. Don't just wing things because they could potentially be huge liabilities. Like, for example, oh, another agreement that I usually draft for my clients are manufacturing agreements. Mm -hmm. It's really important. The reason why is because you want to make sure that you are consistent with the federal and state laws. Uh, I'm talking about the U.S. Yep. You also want to make sure that the company um, doesn't steal your IP, that the company knows the terms of your relationship. Mm -hmm. So those are really important things. Also, if you have stylists um, borrowing your clothes, you need stylist agreements to make sure that those stylists won't bring you back your clothing all chopped up. Mm, okay. NDA agreements, again, non-disclosures, maybe also, for staff. I mean, NDAs, NDAs are later. Like, for example, if you have something really unique about your company that you're you know, offering, like some kind of tech that might be part of your gear, then I couldn't understand an NDA. But overall, I don't really see the crazy need for it. Awesome. And what about wholesale uh, wholesale partnership or wholesale account contracts? Because right, and I mean, I've never personally had any issues with wholesale, uh, but, and I haven't heard of it being as much of a big of an issue as it used to be. 
But, I mean, a couple of years ago, you know, 10, 15 years ago, having wholesale contracts was extremely important because those are pretty much all the partnerships that you were built that you built up as you grew your business. So how, how important is having wholesale contracts nowadays? Well, both are important, but I think that right now uh, we're more focusing towards um, smaller companies. But if you are a bigger company, uh, mm-hmm. wholesale agreements are important. But what, what means by wholesale, it's, it's not really a wholesale agreement, it's a license agreement. Mm, for okay. somebody to sell your products in their stores or abroad or to third parties. Awesome. So just to, uh, to, to go back to what small businesses or startup businesses should be doing is focus on, uh, getting which contracts the, uh, so they need, it, it depends on, it, it really depends on where they are in their business. Like, so for example, if they have partners, partnership agreements, mm-hmm. if they have employees, uh, or consultants, employment, you know, full-time employment agreements or consulting agreements, because they really have to make sure like, the people who are working for them don't think that they're getting part of their business as well. That's something that needs to be in those agreements. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're licensing out their brand, licensing agreements, uh, manufacturing agreements, if they're manufacturing abroad or anywhere to make sure nobody steals their IP and you know stays in accordance with the rules and regulations of their country. Uh, that's, you know, those are pretty much the main agreements, stylist agreements. Awesome. Uh, now I'm, I'm going to ask you a question more about, you know, the general, uh, I guess, condition of the legal space in fashion, uh, because you've been, you've been doing this for quite a while now, and I'm sure you, you, you've been able to see the rise of e-commerce direct to consumer yeah. brands from, from a, from a lawyer's perspective. Mm-hmm. Has has this uh, has this increased the amount of challenges well, for for yeah. business owners from from a legal perspective, or has it actually made the whole environment a little bit better or safer than it used to well, be? You really saw many companies uh, changing, um, meaning social media companies, like for example, uh, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. If you actually own your trademark or, you know, or some sort of IP and somebody is infringing upon this IP on social media, you could just tell them to shut them down, Mm -hmm. which these companies are all, you know, part of like helping maintain uh, strong intellectual property. Now, uh, Amazon, for example, also the same thing if somebody is infringing upon somebody else's trademark or copyright and you file a complaint they will close down the store Mm -hmm. so people really don't want to listen of course you have those companies that infringe and like change names day by day but it makes it harder for them to infringe upon the you know upon the sellers who have who are the producers of these brands Mm-hmm. Awesome. So, so do you think, uh, because of technology, do you think businesses will be even more protected by trademarking laws in the future than they are now based on what you've seen happen from, you know, 10 years ago to now? I mean, yeah, with the way that it's moving with technology, it does seem like online, especially you see, think about it before we had technology, nobody knew if there was 
another fashion brand across the country. Uh, across in the same country in another mm-hmm. state by the same name because we just didn't know who existed. Exactly. With technology now, because we buy and sell online, obviously now all these things are bigger, way bigger issues and way more focus is going towards that. So that's why companies are way more protective when they acquire trademarks. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And yeah, I wanted to ask you that question because uh, you see, I see, well, I've noticed people become increasingly uh, pessimistic about all of this in the industry, especially people starting out, you know, get, they get really insecure. They get really scared about uh, their brands being stolen or their brands being copied, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, the, the media exploits this topic quite a lot. Um, because again, it's, it's driven by fearful and infor- by, by, by information that, that drives fear. Uh, but I was thinking, and that's why I asked you that question. That I mean, because you know, of everything, everything I'm keeps sorry, up. Yeah, better, I'm sorry right? to interrupt you, but um, people see what they want to see. Uh huh. Okay. The reality is, is that whatever the media does is really irrelevant. If uh-huh. you believe in your brand and you believe in your talent, everything else should be irrelevant. You should just know that you have to protect your brand. And you have to build your brand up to a point that like, you know, you, you couldn't afford an attorney to protect you if somebody tries to steal your brand. And that's mm-hmm. it. Awesome. No, like, love it. Love it. Love it. Simple, easy. Uh, again, just so that people feel actual, like confident about approaching uh, this topic because it's something that usually, you know, scares people off. Sure. Uh, awesome. Yeah. Now, before we wrap this whole thing out, and I think it's been a very, very interesting episode, definitely something that I think a lot of people are going to find valuable. Because uh, especially with, with this sort of thing, you know, people tend to not even know the things that they don't know. Right. So increasing that awareness, even just a little bit and giving people a little bit more of a sense of direction of how to do things is something that I think will help massively help them in, in their in their fashion business career. Mm-hmm. Uh so just to conclude all of this, and I'm, I usually ask uh, sort of a last ending question for my, so that it's all the topics are a little bit condensed and concluded. I'm going to do it from my perspective, just so that people can sort of know what to get from this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is that trademarks matter. Sure. <laughs> secondly, <laughs> secondly, trademarks matter. <laughs> Thirdly, trademarks matter. <laughs> no, but for real, and, and, and if there's anything that I've learned through my personal journey is that, yes, be aware of it. Educate yourself so that you know or you're aware of the things that you don't know. And then look for legal professional advice to really help you go down on the specific things that you don't know and you don't have time to know and you'll never going to learn to master. So really, I cannot stress the importance of one, educating yourself so you have some sort of idea what you need to do and getting the right advice uh, to, to move things forward, particularly with trademarking. Trademarking is very important. Also, as you said, with contracts uh, and any legal advice whatsoever. But now to wrap this whole thing up, uh, there's one last question that I do want to ask you. And it's, it's a personal question that I, I usually wrap my, my conclude my whole, all of my episodes with, and that would be, you know, if, if you could go back to when you're starting your career, uh, or to whatever point in your life you want, uh, what would be the best piece of advice that you'd give yourself and why? The best thing that I've ever did was follow my passion. Um, if, I know that at least among my colleagues, uh, 
how passionate I am about my work and the things that I do. Most mm-hmm. people don't share in on that, you know, joyful <laughs> passion. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people go to work and it's like, damn it, I have to do this again for me. I really love my job. I actually feel like I'm able to help, you know, people, entrepreneurs. And following my dreams was probably the best thing that I've ever did. So if my word of advice is don't fall into a trap and be afraid of following, you know, your passion, Mm -hmm. just do it. Worst case, if it doesn't work out, you get up and you continue with something else, but at least try. Sure. Awesome. No, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I think that's something people really need to hear. Uh, not enough actually. Uh, and this, this means a lot of somebody coming from, you know, law school, because uh, a lot of people actually, you know, tend to follow their careers except for something other than what they wanted to do. A lot of peer pressure and maybe sure. where they grew up sort of condition them to follow a certain path, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I do agree with you 100%. Now, Biana, uh, just in case somebody or some of our listeners want to reach out to maybe get some consulting from you or want to learn more about what you guys do and how you help fashion businesses, what would be the best way to get in touch with you? So they could either, so my full name is Biana, be like boy, I-A-N-A, and mm-hmm. Borhovich, B-O-R-U-K-H-O-V-I-C-H. Mm-hmm. I'm located in New York. So if you look up by my name, you could find me or you could reach out at 347-450-1811. That's my phone number. That's 347-450-1811. And, you know, I'll be happy to assist if anybody has any questions. Awesome, Biana. Well, thank you very much for being here with us today. And thank you so much for, for sharing all that information. I know it's never easy to answer to so many general questions. So thank <laughs> I you. I do this every single day for clients. <laughs> well, that so makes me feel pleasure. a little bit better. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Biana. You're welcome. Have a great day. If you want to learn even more about how you can start your own fashion brand, Make sure you follow me on YouTube at Esteban Julian. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Future of Fashion Business. Make sure you subscribe to listen to our future episodes.